podcasting world, welcome back to yet another episode of the Core Consult RX podcast. Cole and I have Bobby with us again in the yes. studio, and so we are going to be uh, covering another accredited episode. So thanks, Bob, for working cameras for us again. But uh, yeah, so um, another accredited episode. Cole, what are we covering today? Covering osteoarthritis, which we have done osteoporosis in the not-so-recent past. We've done rheumatoid arthritis before. Now we're combining them. We are. Not really. Not really. I was going to say, wait, what? But osteoarthritis. The word is combined. Yeah. Yeah. There, yeah, there you go. That's what I mean. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. So, this episode is accredited. And so, for those of you who are uh, free CE members and have uh, unlimited memberships, make sure that after you listen to this episode, uh, you will go to their website, freece.com, and find this episode listed on their whole host of, of episodes that are accredited and um, you'll be given a password at some point during this episode to which you will use to unlock the post activity test on FreeCE's website and that will give you a 10 question multiple choice test and you get one hour continuing ed credit for pharmacists and nurses so then make sure you go check out FreeCE.com if you haven't already what are you doing what they, are you doing? They've been partnering with us for quite a while now, so um, they have a lot of really, really great material on their um, on their platform. Um, all kinds of stuff, learning uh, or what do you call it, uh, live learning. They have a bunch of recorded monographs and, and uh, lectures as well. So definitely good stuff. Make sure you check it out. Yes. So and we'll give you a password in a little bit. Mm -hmm. Did you yeah. say that? Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll give you a password in a little bit. Super secret. It's very secret. Do not tell anybody. So we're talking osteoarthritis today. The pharmacotherapy is not super complicated. Um, there's a number of options. We're going to talk through the risks and benefits of them. Most of the drugs you're going to have been familiar with already. Uh, we'll talk a fair amount about a fair amount about um, anatomy and physiology, some pathophysiology of um, osteoarthritis itself, the damage of inflammation, and kind of how all of that works. But it's the most common joint disease. If you hear um, some, an individual say that they're suffering from arthritis, we, of course, have rheumatoid and osteo. Likely, they're suffering from osteoarthritis because it's more common. 30 million individuals in the, uh, in the U.S., and it's the leading cause of chronic disability in older adults. Um, so a lot of people are going to be suffering from it. A lot of the drugs, um, NSAIDs, and things that we're going to talk about have concerns with other comorbidities that often arise in older individuals. Um, so we'll kind of talk through how we can choose um, maybe, uh, you know, a safer option for certain people um, and at least be aware of, of some of the risks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely not, uh, not, not as drug heavy as we, we normally like. Yeah. Yeah, but that's okay. Yeah, it's all right. We know more than drugs, right? Mm, well. <laughs> We're pharmacists. Yeah, but, you know, we stay in our lane. We try, <laughs> we try to. But, uh, yeah, um, I guess we want to just start off with some background sure. information. Kind, kind of talking through just normal cartilage. Um, the uh, articular cartilage, um, it's going to have um, physio-elastic properties um, that, that's going to provide lubrication um, upon motion, shock absorbency during rapid movements, and, and load support, obviously, just for you know day-to-day -day movement. Cartilage uh, is, is kind of a, I guess, a complex um, tissue, I guess. It's is. a pretty amazing thing. It is, yeah. I think. 
Um, you know, it's hydrophilic. Uh, it's made of this extracellular matrix. Um, it's 70% water. Um, 10% of that is collagen. Uh, another 8% is proteoglycans, um, chondrocytes, other proteins. And then there's these long hyaluronic acid molecules, which is uh, why hyaluronic acid is one of the treatment options that we'll end up talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's two major structural components when it comes to articular cartilage. Um, so we have type two collagen and aggregates. Um, type two collagen is the this tightly woven triple helical structure, um, and that's what's going to provide like the tensile strength of the cartilage. The aggregate is a proteoglycan um, that's linked with hyaluronic acid. Uh, it has this high negative charge. And um, it, the, basically, those are squeezed together by surrounding fibrils and of type two collagen. So the the strong elasto uh, electrostatic repulsion of those uh, proteoglycans um, being held sort of you know in close proximity gives that cartilage the ability to withstand you know further compression um, when, during motion and whatnot. Yeah, it's I mean it, so it has good tensile strength and it has good compression and rebound so it's a pretty amazing tissue I, I always think whenever i bite into like a chicken bone and i get one of those really chewy pieces that you have to spit out i'm always like that must have been cartilage or something that might have been like a tendon or something like maybe that. but it's just very chewy and uh you can't really break it down with your teeth mm-hmm. so if that is cartilage then you know what do you have to use to break it down then i, I just spit it out no i'm just kidding <laughs> yeah that's a good call actually my little brother will eat every single if it's not bone on like a chicken wing every single piece is Completely gone. Is that how you are no. with wings? No. no. I'm, I'm like, big, give, give me the good meat. I'm not yep. working much harder than that. No, I'm not trying to have a chore. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll, I'll eat enough of the wing to feel like, you know, I did a good job. Right. But That if it's sitting on the plate, somebody's not going to judge you for right. leaving meat no, on I, it. I make sure that the chicken died with honor. <laughs> <laughs> it was worth the sacrifice. Yeah, no. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah, <clears throat> so we, within that cartilage extracellular matrix, uh, we have those chondrocytes, like I mentioned. So these are, like, the only actual cells in cartilage, and they are responsible for laying down all the components of the cartilage, you know, during you know, the, the breakdown and rebuild uh, rebuilding process. So the normal cartilage turnover, obviously, is... is Necessary for repair, you know, to restore the cartilage um, in response to demands that have been placed on the joint, um, you know, upon loading and during physical activity. And so there is this normal cartilage turnover that, that's taking place. Yeah. And in adults, um, it's regulated by a number of things, growth factors, as well as um, things that stimulate catabolism or proteolysis. The growth factors would be um, bone morphogenetic protein 2 insulin-like growth factor one and transforming growth factor. The catabolism, the proteolysis is stimulated by um, MMPs, which are matrix metalloproteinases, um, TNF-alpha, which we talked about plenty of times, interleukin-1 and other um, inflammatory cytokines. So if the cartilage is injured, chondrocytes react by removing the damaged areas and increasing synthesis of matrix constituents and that repairs and restores the cartilage so i I don't know my general understanding of cartilage just how people talk about it in layman's terms is you have your cartilage and over time it's broken down until you wear it down enough to where you're like rubbing bone on bone but that's not really it Mm -hmm. it is going through a process of damage and repair your whole life it's just that as you get older the repair piece can't really keep up with the damage piece. Yeah. When you first started going down that road, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Something <laughs> what, doesn't sound right. I was like, where is he going with this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
like when I think about it, the way I the way I keep it straight in my head is <laughs> here's the a ro- good way for is, you to think about is it. Is the wrong way. <laughs> That's good. That was a good save. No, yeah. no, I was I was definitely. No, it's good for you to be on your toes because sometimes I do. Things I was like that, no, so. as as I do as well. I just was for a quick second. I was like, uh oh, <laughs> this is going to be one of those episodes. Um, apparently, one of us last episode um, said. Uh, we were talking about Contrave, the Bupropion and mm-hmm. um, Naltrexone combo. One, one of us must have said, either called it Naloxone or said, you might be familiar with that, like thinking about drug overdose. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. What exactly oh, it was likely that. me, probably. But I, I'm, somebody, sent a, somebody sent a text to the thing. It was like, it was super nice about it. It wasn't like telling mm-hmm. just, hey, just so you know, you made, I don't know if you get just, well, he's like, big fan of the show. But yeah. I was like, oh, that's just, a, that's just one of us. And, yeah, being dumb, dumb. No, we do things like that all the time. Though we don't usually correct, so it's good that we were. Yeah, able to I'm trying. I'm just, you know, you. Hey, I'm trying a new thing. Yeah, <laughs> we actually, we actually, <laughs> actually catch our mistakes. Yeah. Um, so, like Cole was talking about, you know, the, the articular cartilage um, does need to to be, you know, the, those chondrocytes need to be nourished somehow, and so the the cartilage itself is actually avascular, which is kind of interesting. Um, and so, what actually brings the the nourishment to those chondrocytes are is the synovial fluid. And so the, the synovial fluid that is produced by the joints, so the, the, the cyclic loading and unloading the joints is, is what allows the, the synovial fluid to kind of flow into the cartilage. And when you are in a state of like immobilization, then you're basically reducing the nutrient supply, which is why movement and exercise, physical therapy, you know, all kinds of different types of, you know, different yogas, things like that are so vital for, yeah. you know, maintaining healthy uh, quality of life when you're in someone with arthritis because we need that, that synovial fluid pumping. Yep. So uh, normal physical activity, moral of the story, is, is very beneficial to joint health. It is. And you'll see when we talk about treatment that um, for multiple types and, and some of the treatment varies slightly depending on the site of um, the affected joint uh, exercise is important. Um, so most commonly, this is going to begin with damage to the articular cartilage through trauma or other injuries, um, excess joint loading from um, obesity or various other reasons, or instability or injury of the joint that causes abnormal loading. Um, in response to the damage, the chondrocyte activity is going to increase, um, and that's what's going to try to remove and repair the damage. Um, and kind of like I mentioned before, the balance between the breakdown and the resynthesis of the cartilage ends up being lost and that leads to a net loss of cartilage apoptosis of the chondrocytes and it results in the pain that we get that's a piece of it there's actually more um and so the the joint space um you know between the actual bone uh starts to become more narrow uh over time as the osteoarthritis advances and, and progresses um and so the that loss of, of cartilage leads to that painful joint like Cole was saying and then the the remaining cartilage can can soften and, and even develop these what they call fibrillations um, they're, they're like these vertical clefts uh, under the the cartilage and um, this is typically followed um, by the exposure of underlying bone uh, and then some chondroil bone uh, with decreased weight bearing ability and structural instability is all that's kind of left over um, so new bone formations um, will also start to appear at the joint margins, and they, they usually refer to these as osteophytes. Um, and so there is uh, direct evidence that osteophytes can help stabilize uh, osteoarthritic joints, which is kind of like the body trying to 
help itself, um, but uh, are indicative of more advanced osteoarthritis if you see that on imaging. People wonder why medicine's hard. It's because a word like fibrillations can mean multiple different things. Vertical clefts in the cartilage or... Atrial fibrillation. It's spelled right. the same, right? It's important to have the first word. There. Yeah, yeah. Atrial fibrillation and ventricular fibrillation. That, that really tells you we're thinking the heart on this one. Yeah. We're not, no, no need to x-ray the person's knees. <laughs> um, um, hey, Bob, switch to my computer real quick. Uh, this is just a, a, this is from DePiro's pharmacotherapy book. You can just kind of see this picture, this x-ray on the, the knees. You can see the, the, the joint space kind of narrowing there where it's almost touching here on the, the right hand side. So just wanted to show that that's that it just looks painful it does. <laughs> looking at that. It makes me want to sit down. I'm just waiting for Mike to have like his social security number up when we switch to a screen sometime. Yeah. Like he was logging into his like taxes in the background or something like it's that. It's fine. I'll just text me. I'll tell you what it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, so inflammation, inflammation is um, a big problem here. Contributors to that may include crystals or cartilage shards in the synovial fluid. That sounds extraordinarily painful. Um, shards. There's other things that I kind of mentioned before that can um, uh, be a factor. Interleukin-1, prostaglandin E2, TNF-alpha, nitric oxide, all can be found in the synovial fluid. Um, with the changes to the synovium, you get effusions and synovial thickening. These are all going to cause problems. Um, and the pain from osteoarthritis is not necessarily related to the destruction of the cartilage, but arises from the activation of nociceptive nerve endings within the joint by mechanical and chemical irritants. So x-ray changes in osteoarthritis poorly correlate with pain level because you can't really visualize the nociceptive nerve endings. Yeah. And, and I, plus, I feel like there's... It's kind of relative. Yeah, the pain threshold of certain people is going to be very sure. variable. Yeah. But, so that makes sense. But, uh, Bob, switch back to my screen one more time. Um, this is also from Tapira's pharmacotherapy book. But you can see here on the left the, the normal, you know, illustration of this joint and the cartilage. So, like, with the uh, the synovium, looks nice and healthy. The cartilage, you can see there, meniscus, and then um, the subchondronal bone. But when you look on the right-hand side, clearly uh, some damage has been been taking place. So that, that thickened capsule, you can kind of see there, the uh, the synovial inflammation, hypertrophy starts to occur. Um, you may also get these, like, cyst formations, these bone cysts that can form here. Um, there's a, uh, I think it's Medscape, um, their review of osteoarthritis, they have a good picture of um, several like, of these bone cysts that have formed in the hip of a patient, if you want to check that out. Um, and then you can kind of see here this little piece that's starting to form off of the, uh, off the bone here. That's that osteophyte um, formation. And then um, you just kind of see all this damage, the, the cartilage fibrillation, all that. So clearly, uh, lots of lots of patho going on in the joint. Yeah, yeah. So that's a lot about pathophysiology and anatomy. As far as what the patient is going to experience, um, they're they're unique symptoms that are different from rheumatoid arthritis. And I think we compared and contrasted mm -hmm. these when we talked about rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, but the ones specific to osteoarthritis are, it's going to be a deep aching type of pain. Um, there's going to be um, some pain on motion. Um, there will be stiffness in the effective joints, um, but it can resolve with motion as well and then recur at rest, and they call that a gelling phenomenon. The pain can correlate with weather, changes in bariatric pressure. Um, they might have a limited motion in their joint, uh, may result in limitations of activities of daily living. They're not able to to function like they had been. 
um, and they might have some instability of weight-bearing joints as well. There's lots of different risk factors, you know, associated with developing osteoarthritis. Age, you know, it's something that I feel like just intuitively we kind of assume, but there's a lot of other things. In fact, genetic factors are huge. Um, there, uh, there was a, there's a gene they locate. I, I, I want to say this is, this may not be correct. I'll have to find it and make sure, but it's like Adam, tw- Adam one, two or something like mm-hmm. that. It's a gene they found that's like associated with the development of osteoarthritis. There's several others, but I just thought that was funny. Adam one, two. Adam one two. Adam one two. Adam. It's not Adam twelve. It's Adam one two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how you say it. I looked it up, but then <laughs> forgot what it was. <laughs> um, but uh, it might not even be one two. That's why. <laughs> but uh, it just thought it was funny that they have a gene called Adam. But um, so age. It's uh, the first they found. Yeah, yeah. It's the very first one. Hey, could you imagine if that's the first gene? <laughs> so dumb. Um, but uh, age and then genetics play a role. Obviously, um, there's also you know trauma throughout. You know, athletes and things like that, that that can lead to a little more likelihood of developing um, osteoarthritis. Obesity is a huge one that we're dealing with in the United States. And uh, as you know, the population of you know patients that become obese as time goes on, um, it, the the osteoarthritis um, rate is going to also most likely increase as well. Um, and then, you know, sex hormones um, play a role as well. So as those decrease with age, that can also, you know, play it be a factor. Um, if there's any kind of like um, crystal deposits, so like gout, pseudo gout, things like that can also lead to issues, you know, of osteoarthritis down the road, uh, infections. And, you know, if there's a other type of, you know, previous inflammatory arthritis, you know, rheumatoid, it could be... Um, they call burnout rheumatoid arthritis, um, things like that. Uh, if you have situations where you, there's certain like neuropathic disorders, um, you know, there could be morphologic risk factors like congenital hip dislocation, slipped femoral capital, epiphase. What is that word? I can never say that word. Um, epiphysis. Physis? Physis. Physis, yeah. Mm-hmm. Epiphysis. I don't, I, I, every single time I've ever seen that word, I, in my brain just goes, nah. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Um, but yeah, so lots of different things they can they can lead to. It's definitely not just, you know, eh, if someone gets older, you're going to develop osteoarthritis. Right. I remember my granddad telling me that... Um, I would pop my knuckles. Oh yeah, you know everyone's granddad. I'd pop my knuckles, that. and he say he'd say that's why I have arthritis. So don't you know don't pop your knuckles. I pop my knuckles constantly. Oh yeah, like all the time. Oh, it turns out it's just air yeah. <laughs> released from the joint, and those people are all liars. <laughs> my whole family told me that my whole life, or at least misinformed. Now I'm going with my, my, <laughs> going on my with on my side. I'm going with liars. <laughs> I'll go with misinformed. <laughs> um, ready to talk about treatment. Yeah. You know, when I look at treatment, unless you had some other things. No, 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 no. When I look at treatment of osteoarthritis, it's kind of frustrating to me. Why? Because every other major disease state, especially when it's as common as this, seems to be having a lot of new stuff coming out, right? Yeah. I'm surprised that if there are so many inflammatory mediators that play a role here that we haven't been able to use to see benefit with some of those, you know? Um, I mean, we have TNF-alpha blockers. We have interleukin blockers, things like that. They could play some sort of role. Doesn't seem like they have at this point. But yeah, I feel like it's almost one of those things where, especially the TNF alpha, you know, inhibitors and some of the more you know potent like biologics and stuff. I feel like that's the risk associated with those doesn't outweigh the benefit when it comes to osteoarthritis right. versus like something like rheumatoid. But I'm, I'm I wonder, and this is just kind of thinking out loud, but I'm, I'm almost wondering if 
I'd like to see like a statistic of like how many people take advantage of the physical motion and like whether it's PT or you know whatever um, yoga and 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 actually take advantage of those types of yeah. things and and or or focus on weight loss and thing versus just taking an anti-inflammatory. Oh no, I mean I'm sure that's the same problem that we have with all the other yeah. states where that's beneficial. But I think here in particular there could be I don't know. Um, a little bit of confusion as to the benefit of that, right? Because mm-hmm. you think oh, yeah, if yeah. you have arthritis, sure. the idea, like I said, that I had heard growing up is that you've worn down your cartilage and that it's bone on bone. That's what they're always saying. It's like bone mm-hmm. on, you know, yeah, I got bone on bone osteoarthritis. So if you've got bone on bone, you don't want to be rubbing those bones together. Right. So you, you need to not move right. to, to, to not rub those bones together. That's what it seems like. But that's not actually what would yeah. benefit you because it's a misunderstanding of what's going on. Yeah, no, that's for sure. But yes, um, um, Definitely so not, not a lot of new stuff. So that's why I'm frustrated. So the first one we're going to talk about is Tylenol, which is just great because if you're a clinician and you have somebody complaining of osteoarthritis, they obviously are going to have tried Tylenol. Um, and we're not necessarily going through these in order of like what's recommended first. We'll go through that at the end when we talk about the different affected joints. Um, but of course, we have Tylenol. We all are familiar. Um, max dose of less than four grams per day. You'll see other recommendations of less than three grams per day related to liver damage. Um, it's generally less effective than the other NSAIDs we'll talk about, but of course Tylenol does not carry the cardiovascular and GI warnings that um, that the other NSAIDs do. Um, and reminder, if patients are taking warfarin, you want to limit it to two grams per day, um, and then limit alcohol consumption if you're taking it consistently, two drinks per day for men, one drink per day for women. Yeah, I heard that they were talking about changing that. We may have even talked about this on the podcast. Did you hear the alcohol thing? The alcohol thing, but just one heard. drink across the board now. Oh, yeah? That's what I heard. We got, <laughs> we got demoted. It's, you know, it's probably because the people who came up with that recommendation were all men. We're all men. Yeah. <laughs> we're all men, and they're you like, know what? We're, yeah. <laughs> statistically, we weigh more. So. <laughs> it, it, just don't look into it too much, yeah. but it definitely makes sense. We need two drinks because we're, we're different and stuff. <laughs> I bet you that's exactly what it is. That sounds, it sounds like a very guy solution. I know. That's so <laughs> it's funny. A, it's actually, we should probably look that up. That'd probably be spot on. No, I was not aware of that, so that's interesting. I, and I don't know if that's actually taking place. I just had heard that that was something they were discussing. Yeah, what that is that? Change. What is that um, That task force that puts out these recommendations? The U.S. US preventative. preventative. Yeah, yeah, it's probably, they were probably all men when this oh, came out. Oh, for sure. And then finally, they got someone on the, on the panel, and they were like, have you guys looked at the science, <laughs> at the science even one time? And they were like, uh. That's so funny. I actually don't know very much. Either way, whether it is, is is accurate or not, but it seems like something that definitely would have happened. Yeah, you definitely get your head around it. Yeah, it makes sense. But yeah, so Tylenol definitely, uh, you know, something that most patients will have already tried. Um, I will say a lot of the guidelines and stuff um, don't even necessarily recommend Tylenol just because it's very hit or miss as far as how effective it can be, yeah. especially without the anti-inflammatory um, component. And mm-hmm. so when you when you see like the comparative daily cold was saying, less effective than NSAIDs for sure. Definitely safer um, unless there's some kind of like liver disease or something going on, but right. definitely... Uh, uh, most likely the patient had already kind of utilized and ruled that out anyway. But uh, next up with NSAIDs, and this is one of those things where um, NSAIDs being over the counter, especially, you know, ibuprofen, naproxen, it's one of those things where I feel like sometimes patients see them as like almost like a benign mm-hmm. medication. They don't realize the impact they can have in the kidneys and, and all that. Even though there really is a large warning about cardiovascular events like right there. Is on there? The bottle. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, mean, it's I, like I haven't looked at the uh, OTC ignored. box in a while. Yeah. I go, 
I'm a pharmacist. <laughs> I know. I know the dose. I know what it says. I don't even look at the ingredients. <laughs> no, but uh, NSAIDs can kind of be broke. There's you can actually break NSAIDs apart into various subgroups. So that's kind of more in detail than we actually need to get today. But um, the one thing to think about with NSAIDs is their selectivity. Um, so non-selective NSAIDs, meaning that they are blocking COX one and COX two, sort of. Um, you know, the, the roughly the same you know, amount. And uh, naproxen is, is one, although it may lean a little more towards COX-1 selectivity. Um, ibuprofen, ketoprofen, um, indomethazone, and um, paroxicam are all going to be some that are uh, all NSAIDs that are considered to be non-selective. Now, we also have our more our relatively selective COX-2 NSAIDs, so meloxicam, diclofenac, um, um, to others like uh, Relefin, I, I, I can't remember the last time I've seen that. I actually saw it a debutantone. I saw it a, a strange amount, and I was not familiar with it at all because I was like, "What is this? This doesn't sound." I, I really had never run into it when I first dispensed it. I was like, "Oh, it's an inset. Who thinks to dispense this as an inset?" But yeah, people would. I mean, I, I filled it a fair amount. There's got to be. Uh, th- there's probably some s- specific. Yeah type of injury or something that's that's useful for maybe hey we'll do an episode on that maybe we'll look into it yeah whole episode on the pimentone unless we look at it and we're like no never mind <laughs> it's just somebody's favorite drug yeah. um and then outside of the the traditional insets we also do have our what they call a cox2 inhibitor um celecoxib is the one that's on the market now um celebrex and uh we'll kind of talk a little bit more about that and like the differences and whatnot but yeah the the primary uh you know, effect of these NSAIDs in, in silicoxib is to inhibit the cyclooxygenase. Um, so you're COX-1, COX-2, you're impairing, impairing the ultimate transformation of arachidonic acid being converted into prostaglandins, prostacyclin, thromboxanes. And um, when we think about the two paths that it can go, so COX-1, COX-2, COX-1 is, is expressed in most tissues. Um, so it, it, it has a role in producing those, those prostaglandins that are involved with gastric cytoprotection, um, involved with like vascular homeostasis, platelet aggregation, kidney function. COX-2 is more so um, on the side of the actual inflammation. So the idea of something like celecoxib was that if we can target COX-2 specifically, then we're taking away some of the risks to the stomach and the kidneys and all that. It was a great idea. Didn't necessarily play out as well as they hoped, but it is, is, I guess, the right line of thinking. Um, And Bob, switch to my computer again real quick. This is uh, another, uh, I'm going hard on the DePiro pharmacotherapy algorithms today, the uh, illustrations today. They should sponsor us. Yeah, yeah, that's a good (laughs) idea. But uh, this is just showing you that arachidonic acid being converted from COX-1 and COX-2 and kind of how that they're... uh, they're used to um, to create or to block that inflammatory process. I love but, how simple that that graphic is. Uh-huh. Like that's actually something I could make if I needed to. You could, yeah, you, know you could do that. I would just have to have the prior knowledge, but I could do the boxes yeah. and the arrows. As long as, yeah, as long as someone wrote down what goes in the boxes, <laughs> you'd be fine. Now, now doing one one color and one the other that might Ooh, trip me up. That's a good point. But. <laughs> and uh, notice here too that on this illustration it says corticosteroids. Um, that's, that's they play a role in the COX two inhibition as well, which is why steroids can help with uh, inflammation. Yep. So just throwing that out there. 
So Mike mentioned the prostaglandins playing a role in um, gastroduodenal protection, which is very important and something to definitely consider if you're going to be um, prescribing these NSAIDs, especially at uh, prescription doses and that sort of thing, or if you're just counseling a patient to use it over the counter. Uh, but the way they, they have this effect is um, stimulation of glycoprotein secretion by epithelial cells, stimulation of bicarbonate secretion by epithelial cells, enhancement of mucosal blood flow and oxygen delivery to epithelial cells via local um, vasodilation and enhanced epithelial cell proliferation. So blocking that is going to prevent all of those things. Um, the risk increases if NSAIDs are given along with oral corticosteroids, so we would definitely want to avoid that if at all possible. The risk of the wiping out those prostaglandins in the stomach? Correct. Yeah, yeah, okay. And prostaglandin synthesis is increased in the setting of prolonged renal vasoconstriction too, um, which serves to protect the um, GFR, the glomerular filtration rate. Um, so they act to preserve renal blood flow by decreasing the pre-glomerular resistance. So, yeah, so you, shut down, you shut down those prostaglandins, and then all of a sudden they're gastric protection their renal protection renal is protection. no longer no longer there right um when uh when i was putting these slides together the, that I, I kind of put those extra you know insert about the the mechanism behind the uh the gi ulcer and stuff mm-hmm. um i remember when i was in school i was at bar and grill with dr Wirt. i think it was bar, it may, may have been lab i don't remember um i'm pretty sure it's bar and grill that i had was presenting something and I felt like I was killing it. I was like, I'm doing so good right now mm-hmm. in my head. I didn't say that out loud. <laughs> and in my head, I'm going, I'm so proud of myself. And then he, I said something about it and then said, you know, which was the right recommendation for that, whatever I was talking about. And he said, uh, he said, uh, well, in the patient uh, has a history of, you know, acid reflux and the stuff, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's like, what are five ways that uh, NSAIDs can, have, can cause the, uh, the issues in the, in, the, you know, in the stomach itself? And I was like, What's up? <laughs> and he just starts rattling these off the top of his head and uh, in, in much better detail than we've said here. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there just staring at him and I'm just in my head, all of my confidence just, <laughs> just melt as well as, as, as it should have melted right away. They, ha- they have this clever way of identifying where your knowledge is at mm-hmm. and, then and then digging showing, a little yeah. bit deeper. So even if you're very shallow, they'll make you go one step Deeper. Yeah. But even if you're very detailed, they'll make you go one step deeper. Yeah. I was like, uh, afterwards, I was, he, he said, yeah, just know that if I, when I start asking you that many questions or that in detailed questions, it means I'm impressed with the little bit that you did know and I wanted to go deeper. I was like, all right, I'll right. take that. Right. But it was funny. I, so I was like, you know what? I'm putting that in my slide because <laughs> I'll never forget it. But uh, yeah. So let's talk about cardiovascular risk with NSAIDs because that's the other big issue with patients being on these long term. Uh, NSAIDs in general have been known to increase the risk of serious cardiovascular throm- thrombotic events. So MI and stroke. Um, it's, there was a meta-analysis that came out, I want to see in 2018 maybe, um, that uh, basically showed that certain NSAIDs, uh, I think diclofenac was one of them, they, it can cause uh, an MI within the first like week of use, which is crazy mm-hmm. you know, compared to what you know, I would expect if I was just to guess. I mean, and normally, if we're talking to a patient about it, we're talking like, yeah, you know, long term, it yeah. can increase your risk for such and such, but a week. Turns out, <laughs> long term in this case, might be a week. 
Um, but, uh, you know, the, the risk is going to be increased the longer the patient's on it for sure. And especially if patients already have sort of underlying cardiovascular disease and other risk factors and whatnot, definitely going to be obviously contributors, but it can happen quick. So it's definitely not something to take lightly. Um, and you know, there, there's definitely warnings like Cole said on the OTC packaging and all that, but sometimes in like a clinic setting, we don't always kind of go through those with, with patients. Um, and so the, the risk of those cardiovascular issues or, or potential outcomes that could happen um, was thought to be potentially even higher with COX-2 inhibitors. And, uh, and and it's been shown to be higher in, in NSAIDs that are more COX-2 selective, so like meloxicam, diclofenac, um, especially diclofenac is the big one. I'm pretty sure that was the, one of the ones they mentioned in that meta-analysis. But uh, definitely um, the thought that... Uh, the, the whole issue with celecoxib and, and the cardiovascular risk, that was kind of a hot topic there for a little bit. Um, I don't know if you guys remember uh, Viox. Um, it was a COX-2 inhibitor that was on the market a while back. Um, Bob, switch my screen one more time. Appreciate it. this. Uh, look, at the, look at the billboard. It says Viox, heart attack and strokes, call 888 help. <laughs> I wonder if that number's still there. They took this off the market because they were seeing an increase in heart attacks and strokes as this sign denotes. And so um, after looking at it for a while, uh, the data and the post, post-marketing surveillance, uh, Merck ended up taking it off the market. But the same concern was initially thought about with Celebrate, or, or it was thought that maybe, you know, this, should we be worried about celecoxib as well? It doesn't look like the same risk is, is associated with celecoxib, although um, it definitely still could be. They, they've done a couple studies, like the precision trial was one of them that was a really kind of crappy trial, the, the way they set it up. Um, it didn't really answer a lot of questions, and it, but at least there's some data that shows it wasn't necessarily more um, at risk, at least at lower doses, like they used in the, that trial. Right. But just something to keep in mind, uh, if you have a patient who does have high cardiovascular um, risk factors or, you know, they, they've had an MI in the past or, you know, whatever the case may be, maybe it would be something to where, you know, assuming they don't have GI issues or kidney problems on top of it, then maybe going with like a non-selective NSAID, like, like naproxen, maybe more beneficial than sticking with the COX-2 selective or a COX-2 inhibitor itself. Right. Um, and there are some kind of strange concerns with some of them that you really wouldn't associate with an NSAID normally. Um, for instance, with psych patients with endomethacin, there's a risk for CNS side effects. So be aware of that. Uh, with paroxicam, um, there's a very high risk for GI toxicity and even a risk for um, um, severe skin reactions like Stevens-Johnson syndrome. Um, did you mention the sulfonamide allergy? No, no, okay. I didn't. So celecoxib um, is contraindicated with a, with a true severe sulfonamide allergy as well. Um, and then Mike mentioned the um, diclofenac um, showing greater chance of MI. In one meta-analysis, it was compared to naproxen. Um, and then, of course, if it's in combination with misoprostol, do not use that in pregnancy. Arthrotech. Arthrotech for yeah. the. Um, it's a prostaglandin analyzer, basically to protect the stomach. stomach yeah. 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 But definitely a uh, teratogenic drug. So yes. <laughs> definitely avoiding that use. Have you seen that use in, at all? The I'm, combo? Yeah. Back in the day. Back so. in the day, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, when, that's what it was for me, too. Um, all right. What do you want to. You want to talk about. Uh, 
So you talked about the precision trial, right? Yeah, I, I guess I think I've mentioned this before, and so it's maybe a review, but I guess I'll, I'll mention it in just a couple details from it. Um, again, kind of going back to that cardiovascular risk, the uh, the precision trial was looking at silicoxib, naproxen, and ibuprofen, comparing the three, and their primary outcome they were assessing was positive CV death, non-fatal MI, non-fatal stroke. Um, patients in the study, uh, the majority of them had osteoarthritis. Some did have rheumatoid arthritis, although it was like 5% of the the patient population, um, and you know, they also in in the study, the patients included um, had cardiovascular risk or established cardiovascular disease, and so they they were comparing the the three agents to each other and to see if if silicoxib did in fact have any sort of a, uh, establish or could they could establish some kind of a risk with silicoxib. So at the per, at the end of the study, which took like over ten years to complete, because they kept having like really hard time enrolling patients, it was a whole a whole thing. But uh, at the end of the study, there wasn't a difference between the uh, the medications uh, as far as the primary composite. They did, however, say that um, there was more serious gastrointestinal events in the naproxen group compared to silicoxib. However, um, the, the number needed to harm in this case was two, uh, 223. And the, they just kind of lumped together several things like I mean, constipation and iron deficiency anemia, things like that into what they would label as serious gastrointestinal events. But like the major bleeds and the things that we truly would like worry about weren't different. Um, ibuprofen compared to silicoxib did have um, even lower uh, number needed harm uh, for GI issues. And so I would say that one would would give me a little bit more pause if somebody has GI issues. Um, ibuprofen is one I wouldn't be as likely to use, but um, the naproxen does seem to be okay. Um, and so there, there's definitely, uh, you know, they looked at several different things, renal outcomes, all that, and there didn't seem to be a difference between between those. Um, iron deficiency anemia of a gastro uh, origin was one of the, the big ones between the and silicoxid that was different. Yeah. And that's about it. Yeah. So um, again, it's not that, uh, it, it, that the issues though, the, the doses that they use with silicoxid were pretty low. They were mm -hmm. actually low with all three drugs mm -hmm. compared to what we usually see in clinical practice. And so that being said, the meta-analyses and things that have kind of given us some warning about this potential risk usually included silicoxib doses at higher doses. And so right. the thought is, well, did we just not set the study up to, to truly show that difference because we didn't use the right doses that are oftentimes used and this, that, and the other. So it's definitely uh, one of those situations where I, I, I there, in fact, there was an article written about like an editorial the next day after that study got published and it was called Imprecision. <laughs> <laughs> and it was basically... Somebody the, had that one holstered. Oh man, he couldn't wait <laughs> to push publish. But uh, it the, the basically like the last sentence was, the moral of the story was after 10 years of research, we're no closer to understanding <laughs> that. I was like, oh, ouch, that's pretty brutal. Yeah, brutal. But, uh, but yeah, so check that out, Imprecision, Precision Trial. It's like... Um you know how they have food critics that go yeah. around to the restaurants and like write uh, articles like that. It's it's uh, yeah, study critics who just sit there and wait for them to come out and then just like tear them to shreds. It'd be it'd be great if they would have someone, and you're not going to get this because no one's going to be this unprofessional. You know how food critics will go over the top and like describe it like ridiculous thing. It'd be funny if we had like a really good. Like a guy who's good at pharmacotherapy yeah. and, and a but it's also good at writing, but also great at like comedy because you don't usually think <laughs> and of trash talk doctors and pharmacists as being, uh, I don't know, very good with words. Well, except us. 
Except for us. Except for us. We're, but we are definitely. <laughs> he, he said it in his monotone voice. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, dude, how dare you? Um, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. But um, do you want to you finish up with the diclofenac gel yeah. as far as the NSAIDs go? Yeah. So um, last NSAID is Voltaren gel, which we're mentioning this last, but as we kind of go through some of the algorithms, um, it's kind of mentioned first line is one of the um, uh, first line medication options because it's generally not systemically absorbed as long to, to a well, really they, they don't have a great understanding of it is what I have heard. But, um, and there is still, they think some concerns related to cardiovascular things and whatnot, but it's definitely at least marketed to, to be like, Hey, this is, this is, it's topical. It's not going to cause the issues that like oral diclofenac is going to cause, but, um, and it's even over the counter now. It's even over the counter now. And, um, though I, it's, you know, generic best prescription and you can get it covered as prescription. I would imagine that, um, you could probably get it cheaper that way if if you have insurance or even go to Rex probably. But, um, so yeah, Voltaren gel, um, it has a dosing card inside the package that'll help you correctly measure each dose. Have you ever used this before? Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Feel like it worked? Uh, it was, it was okay. I I had a, like a bad knee injury when I was younger and, um, was using it then and it helped all right. I was probably, I also didn't know what I was doing. So I probably was using way too much because like I, uh, my skin like started peeling a little bit and stuff. So it wasn't bad. It was just like, I could tell it was bathing just a quick, yeah, quick layer of skin gone. But other than that, it did help a little bit. They have specific recommendations as far as the dosing. So they have a max dose per day. You're not supposed to exceed 32 grams per day. And then they have dosing based on the affected joints. So hands, wrists, and elbows, 2 grams up to 4 times a day. Feet, ankles, and knees, 4 grams up to 4 times a day. You don't want to use it if there's like a cut or open wound or something. Um, and if you use it, you don't want to bathe or wash it off for at least an hour after the application. I definitely uh, am... I'm surprised because I, I bring this up as far as the when I see a patient that's on it, I'm, I'll go through and ask them, you know, how they go about measuring the two to four grams. And uh, the I mean, 99.9% of patients are like, I don't know, I just put a little dot on my hand. And I just, it's interesting to me how, how people see that. They read two to four grams and then no one yeah. questions it or asks about it. I shouldn't say no one, but at least in my experience. Uh, right. So the other day I had a patient who, if you had said, hey, put money on, which patient you think is the least likely to have ever seen that dosing card. And I would have been like this person right here. And, and, uh, just, just, just medications look like they were in sham. The box they brought it was just in mm-hmm. shambles. And it was just, uh, you know, great person, but definitely not very, uh, a type. <laughs> so I, I made that guy, Hey, how do you, you know, do you do that? And he looked at me like I was an idiot. And he goes, there's a dosing card. In front of <laughs> I was like, well, <laughs> and once again, I'd like to remind everyone not to judge a book. <laughs> yeah. It was just the way he said it was hilarious. I almost had to keep, I always, I just, I always go with the old fingertip unit, you know, mm-hmm. just, uh, it is a, a measure, a measure, but the fingertip <laughs> unit, I mean, you know, there's yeah. some relative, there's some relativity there. Yeah. I'd say Cole has, yeah hands that are normal size versus some people like Shaquille O'Neal. You don't want to use his fingers. <laughs> right, his fingertip units versus your fingertip units. Yeah, 27 grams of, of, of gel. But yeah, that's definitely a good, a good option, I think, for a lot of patients. So um, there's also capsaicin creams um, that you can use as well. What these do is they induce the release of substance P, um, which is the principal chemomediator of pain impulses from the periphery to the CNS. Um and from, from peripheral um, sensory neurons. 
Um, after repeatedly applying it, capsaicin can deplete substance P and prevent its reaccumulation and kind of prevent those um, pain impulses from transferring. Has some um, concerns to be aware of, like topical burning. If you've used these before, you might know what that kind of feels like. It seems to go away with continued use. You want to apply it to the affected area three to four times a day, and it takes a while to begin working, two to four weeks. Um, but it's recommended as an alternative first-line treatment for hand osteoarthritis specifically. Well, you know what's interesting? Um, and I just I just saw this recently, but the rheumatoid folks say that uh, they don't like it. Uh, they have a like, conditionally recommended against it in huh. the hand. Because the other group, um, I can't remember if it's the College of uh, um, Ortho surgeons or what but um the a couple other guidelines will say that they recommend it for the hand because you can apply it topically but the rheumatoid folks i guess say that they don't like that because of the the one that they say the data is unclear as far as the efficacy and then they they're worried about the application you know going on the hands and then people rubbing their eyes or something like that because it is made from a red pepper extract which yeah. is why you know induces that burning that topical burning which you need in order to you eliminate and you know, get rid of your substance P or deplete your substance P is the proper proper phrasing, but we're uh, big on proper phrasing. We are huge, but but definitely you know something that warn patients about and tell them if they are going to you know, make sure they wash their hands really well if they are contacts or something like that make sure that they're not touching their face. Yeah, much like if you're eating hot wings, it's like the the pepper spray of hand creams. It it is exactly like that. <laughs> in fact, it's, it's not a spray. It says it's not a spray or intended for the eyes. <laughs> so, yeah. yes. Um, we'll, we'll talk briefly about uh, our good buddy Tramadol. Um, definitely not a ideal option for, uh, for osteoarthritis, but it's probably better than some of the other opioids and things like that as far as, far as you know the the risks are, are concerned and yeah i seem to see it a lot when somebody's really pushing for opioids yeah and they're just not letting up and it's like well why don't we do this and, and it makes a little bit of sense too because you know it does obviously bind to the mu opioid receptor as an agonist just like other opioids but tramadol does have that you know the inhibition of the reuptake of norepinephrine serotonin so there's you know some of that um nerve pain or neuropathy type you know risk reduction as well and like you were saying at the beginning it's there is some of that as a as a component to it possibly so i think that's another reason why we may go that route plus it's not as widely controlled and things so you don't have to worry as much about i mean it really isn't as dangerous yeah it's not but definitely still not an ideal option long term. We know opioids increase, you know, hy- hyper analgesia and, and can cause you know problems, you know, with you know, tolerance and all kinds of stuff. So not ideal, but is something that you'll see some patients on. Um, warnings to be aware of if the patient has you know any seizure uh, history, history of seizures or, or risk of seizures, if you know the recent head trauma or anything like that. Um, probably not a good idea for tramadol, um, especially long-term. Uh, if they're on other serotonergic drugs, then we do have to potentially consider the risk of uh, serotonin syndrome. I mean, they'd have to be on a lot of, you know, high doses of serotonergic drugs, but it could happen. Um, and then it is uh, metabolized by 2D6 and 3 4 so you have to worry a little bit about drug-drug interactions. And then uh, if if the patient is, you know, a breastfeeding mother, that they should avoid um, this because it can increase the, the risk of breathing problems of infants that are exposed to it. Um, Other adverse effects, loss of appetite, flushing, dry mouth, insomnia can all happen. 
Yep. So insomnia is the big one, I think, because I feel like yeah. it's something that if, if patients are taking tramadol for during the day for their uh, you know, arthritis, pain, and whatnot, but then they're having issues sleeping at night and not realizing that they're connected potentially. Yeah, yeah, because you would think it would like cause drowsiness or whatever, but the, like, I'd imagine it's the serotonin yeah. that would cause the problem. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's kind of uh, well, that's not it for medications, but that's a lot of the primary ones you would think about. So there's also intra-articular corticosteroids, uh, which Mike referenced steroids before. Um, generally, they don't recommend um, they don't recommend oral steroids, though. Mm. Just anecdotally, I've I've seen like steroid dose packs and things used with when people have like I don't know a flare, it's really bad or something like that, but. Um, uh, intra-articular corticosteroids are considered safer, though they have a number of side effects to be aware of. The steroids they generally use, or they will use, are triamcinolone and methylprednisolone. Um, and the adverse effects, as you can imagine, would be similar to oral corticosteroids, though there shouldn't be as much systemic absorption as long as you're limiting the use to three to four injections per year. Um, but hyperglycemia, edema, uh, blood pressure elevation, flushing, dyspepsia, um, possibly infection at the affected joint because, I mean, it is a pretty solid-sized needle that they stick in there. Osteonecrosis um, and skin atrophy at the injection site has been reported as well. Interestingly, after the injection, they really should minimize activity and stress to the joint for several days. Um, uh, but the initial pain relief can be pretty quick, 24 to 72 hours after the injection with peak pain relief at 7 to 10 days after the injection. So just having family members who have done this and things, it can definitely work. Um, I mean, it seems like over time, just as it, the disease progresses, it seems to be less and less effective until it's just not working for them and they have to look into something different. But Yeah, I was surprised at the effect it can have on um, glycemic control because yeah. I feel like uh, it's, you know, we, we know that this it can have some systemic effects like you, like you mentioned, but I've seen some of my diabetic patients that, it's like it's so hard to get their blood sugar under control after, especially like soon after an injection. Yeah, and uh, I don't know, just surprising that it's I know. You're sticking has it right much, there. Yeah, the... has that much of an impact. It is interesting, but uh, definitely, definitely an option that you'll see patients on. Um, although it's, it tends to be a little bit kind of controversial as far as its eff efficacy, but there's definitely still uh, you know clinicians that are they're using it. Okay. Same with same with hyaluronic that we're going to get to. Yeah. Um, duloxetine. Let's talk about this one. Because it's uh, obviously an antidepressant, um, it's a you know, serotonin, norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor. However, it is widely used now for things like um, osteoarthritis, different types of neuropathy, diabetic neuropathy, mm -hmm. and uh, migraine. Yeah, I feel like it's almost like I see symbols of use in that regard way more than I do for depression, depression now. Yeah. yeah, in fact, a lot of times central patients acting will, pain yeah, issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Said patients will be on, you know. Zoloft or whatever, and then get switched to duloxetine to try to kill two birds with one stone. Whatever that whole body pain syndrome is, fibromyalgia. Fibromyalgia, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another good one, but uh, but yeah. So the norepinephrine reuptake inhibition does not uh, occur typically until doses reach sixty milligrams per day, um, and then the the chronic nociceptive pain leads to that central pain sensitization and they're thereby lowering the pain threshold. Um, so it's providing the pain relief through blocking of the, the central pain transmitters. Um, and included in that would obviously be serotonin and norepinephrine. Uh, some adverse effects to be aware of, um, nausea, dry mouth, constipation, fatigue, somnolence, dizziness, things of that nature. Um, you know, if a patient uh, 
is on other serotonergic drugs, definitely use some caution there. And I've actually seen some patients get put on like an SSRI for depression and then duloxetine for their osteoarthritis. And that's probably not a good idea. Yeah. Um, it's you know, a little, little bit too much serotonin potentially. I've seen people on both too, but yeah, yeah. it's probably not the best. Yeah. I'm, you know, it's one of those things that, uh, I personally wouldn't do it. I'm sure there there's some people that have done well with it, but yeah, I, that wouldn't be my combo of choice. Yeah. Um, it does seem to be the more data that shows it's, it's efficacy in, in specifically knee osteoarthritis um, compared to other forms or other locations of the um, arthritis pain. But uh, yeah, it's, it's an option that in my anecdotal experience, I feel like with patients is, has been kind of hit or miss. Some patients think it helps a lot. Some patients are like, this didn't do anything. I stopped it already, but yeah, it's another option. So hyaluronic acid is also an interesting option. Does hyaluronic acid have anything to do with ducks? This is a strange question. I, I always associate drugs with some weird animal incorrectly oh. for some reason. I, I did, first of all, I did not know that about you. <laughs> Second, <laughs> I've done all. it many times. Remember I had the puffer. I had the, um, oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. fish thing wrong. Yeah. About something, Botox or something. Yeah, I, I don't know. You may be wrong with this one as well. <laughs> no, I'm, no, I'm sure I am, but that doesn't come to mind to you. Okay, yeah, I yeah, think no. it's because my granddad was telling me about <laughs> him getting these injections one time, and there was a, a, a large painting of a duck behind him. And so I always associate it with a mallard duck. Every time I hear it, I'm like, is there something related to duck oil with this? No, there's not. That's a crazy association, I though. I have strange associations of you saw medicines with animals. Behind your grandfather, who was misinformed, not a liar. <laughs> <laughs> he talked to me a lot about osteoporosis, apparently. I feel like, yeah, yeah osteoarthritis. Osteoarthritis. Yeah. Maybe osteoporosis, too. <laughs> right. Told you to drink milk so you wouldn't get yeah. it. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, well, anyways, I guess that's how I remember things. Yeah, that's good. Remember things that are incorrect. Um, so um, there's non-cross-linked hyaluronic acid um, under various brand names, Hyalgin, Euflexa. There's also cross-linked hyaluronic acid under the brand name Synvisc, but it's a naturally occurring component of the cartilage and synovial fluid. The idea is um, uh, to provide and maintain intraarticular lubrication by injecting this. Uh, most of the products are once a week for either three or five weeks, and patients are generally advised to repeat the injection schedule after six months if they feel like it's worked for them. But there is a large placebo effect, and Michael kind of talk about, you know, whether it's really recommended or not. Some adverse effects, as you might imagine, acute joint swelling, effusion, stiffness, rash, itching, that sort of thing. Definitely uh, a controversial topic. But before we do that, have we given the password Oh, yet? man, nope. And, and I'm glad we waited because usually we give it in the middle. Now yeah, we're, we're throwing them off. <laughs> It's nice, not even right at the end. Nice which is try, good. cheaters. No, yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, password today is going to be osteo. Um, so, all capital letters, osteo, and uh, you will get access to your post activity test, quiz, whatever you want to call it. So, yeah. Surely we didn't do that for osteo. Oh, no, we already discussed this. Yeah, so there's a different one. Okay, good, good, good. Oh, shoot. I just gave it. Ah, you got two passwords. <laughs> you got two passwords yeah. and one. The password for this one is osteo. Osteo. So, yeah. Osteo. So, the. Uh, American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons um, the do kind of weigh in on the hyaluronic acid uh, kind of controversy. They, they say that they cannot recommend using hyaluronic acid for patients with symptomatic osteoarthritis of the knee specifically. Um, and they say 14 studies, three high-strength studies, and 11 moderate-strength studies uh, assessed intraarticular hyaluronic acid injections. They basically showed a low likelihood um, that it is an appreciable number of patients that achieve clinically important benefits, you know, in their outcomes. 
none of the improvements met uh, the minimally clinically important improvement thresholds that were established in the studies. So because of that, um, they don't recommend using it. However, keep in mind that just because a guideline does not recommend something doesn't necessarily mean that they recommend against it. Right. Usually, um, guidelines will actually put that out there that you know that they they do. Uh, they recommend against it if they if that's specifically in their right. verbiage. It just means they don't have enough data, data to specifically to recommend it because you're going to run into a lot of patients who have you know tried Tylenol NSAIDs are contraindicated or they've tried NSAIDs they've done the steroid injections and they're not working anymore and you want to be able to offer them something and so if it's not harmful then you know I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of clinicians who are going to give it a shot I've heard and known many people who've who've gotten these shots. Um, so, and, it, it, and whether it's placebo effect or not, if it seems to benefit somebody, then exactly. why not, you know, yeah. I say why not? I say, Cole says why not, so you guys better try it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that it's, it's, it's not like they're saying, like, this is harmful and doesn't work, so don't use yeah. it. Yeah. There's also glucosamine and chondroitin, which is a supplement that you'll see advertised and recommended by some. Um, they can stimulate proteoglycan synthesis from articular cartilage in vitro, and that's the idea of, of how they work. Um there was a study that evaluated its efficacy over two years and found it not to be statistically superior than placebo. Um, and then when the combination was compared to Celebrex in patients with knee osteoarthritis, it was found to be non-inferior um, uh, at six months in terms of reduction in pain. So that's probably more negative for Celebrex than anything else. I think. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Um, and the uh, as far as the... The combination, glucosamine chondroitin, it is well tolerated, though. So I would say that it's something that uh, almost would be kind of like Colso with the hyaluronic acid. If it's a placebo effect, then hey, great. And if they're if it's if they're willing to pay for it, and it's not like they're yeah. they're indigent, and you feel like they're you know, yeah, it yeah, would be course. it would have a significant impact on their finances. To yes. pay thirty dollars a month for that's their good, supplement. That's a good point. Um, you know, definitely, obviously, you know, encouraging patients to check the source of where they're getting the products from, and and you know, making sure it's from a reliable distributor and all that good stuff. Um, but uh, you know, th there may be some placebo effect there. It's hard to, to say, but I, I have heard from patients that notice they really don't notice how much it's helping until they stop it and then they start noticing the pain's getting worse so um you know there's there's definitely it's not to say that it's not and it clearly cool said it's been seen as effective as something like duloxetine which seems to be you know a fan a fan favorite for some clinicians now so right um when we look at the the, the guidelines overall there are a bunch of different uh you know, resources that have established uh, or, or groups that have established guidelines, um, they usually are separated by the location of the arthritis. So, for example, like the American College of Rheumatology, um, and they partner with the Arthritis Foundation. Um, they have guidelines on hand, arthritis, osteoarthritis, hip osteoarthritis, and, and knee. And then the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, they have hip and knee guidelines. And so what I did is to kind of just um, consolidate the – those, those different guidelines into like my own little flow chart, if mm, you will. Yeah. Interesting. So this is going to be a, 
uh, Mike Corvino original. Oh, this is an original here, and you can see uh, it. Uh, Bobby, you show the ice screen real quick. Oh, yeah, look at that. Circles and squares. So, oh, so many circles and, and squares. different colors. Different colors. I'm impressed. Brought to you by uh, that Google uh, software that allows you to make these type of things. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so hand osteoarthritis. For those of you who are uh, on the watching the video version, make sure you um, you pay attention to your screen now. <laughs> but uh, um, th- if like you three have, people just wreck their cars. Yeah, yeah. Please don't do that. Um, if you have hand osteoarthritis, then establishing whether or not the patient has cardiovascular risk or GI risk. If they do have cardiovascular risk, I'd say probably naproxen side. If GI risk, then either silicoxib or naproxen, maybe even with the PPI would be the, I would stay away from things like ibuprofen though. Um, and again, this is in the hand. So if it, you know, at that point, is it is the treatment effective? Um, if it's not, you know, going on to some of the second line options um, for the hand, the better data is in caps, topical capsaicin, um, the intra-articular um, injections, the steroid injections, and then also topical instead being diclofenac. Uh, and then last line, which we're trying to avoid if possible, would be something like tramadol. Um, the knee osteoarthritis, uh, they actually want you to start with a topical NSAID, um, so diclofenac, and then if that's not effective, the same thing, assessing the CV risk, the GI risk, naproxen or silicoxib, and then if that's still not effective, um, at that point you can consider hyaluronic acid. Um, the most effective option at that, uh, as far as third line, seems to be the, uh, the injectable steroids, um, and then capsaicin if cost is an issue you know where you know the patient can't afford some of the more expensive treatments or like steroid injections then maybe capsaicin can be added on and if the patient has comorbid depression or fibromyalgia then duloxetine would be the preferred third line option and it doesn't mean that uh you know you can't use this in combination with the naproxen and things but uh tramadol last line if if you absolutely need to um, hip osteoarthritis, just slightly different, starts off still with the NSAIDs, um, not topical oral NSAIDs because it's too hard to get the topical NSAID to reach, you know, in the hip. And, uh, if the naproxen or the silicoxib are not effective, then second line, um, they recommend, uh, either the steroid injections or they have duloxetine, but it's not, the efficacy has not been proven in hip OA. And then, uh, last line again, tramadol. I feel like I would not love to have an intraarticular injection in my hand. I've had one. Yeah? Mm-hmm. How was it? It hurt. I imagine. Yeah. I uh, I had, uh, I, when I was still doing the MMA stuff, I had a fight coming up, and I couldn't barely even touch something with my with my knuckle because I, I had a tendon that was ripped. And so the, my hand guy that I had to frequent. You had a hand <laughs> um, guy? Yeah, a hand guy. <laughs> he said, uh, he, he's like, well, he's like, I wouldn't recommend I would recommend not doing this fight because if it tears, we're going to have to fish the, the tendon out of your, uh, but it was the one that I was like trying to like, it was going to get me enough money to like get my engagement ring for mm-hmm. Jen and all that stuff. So I was like, uh, what happens if I do fight? And he's <laughs> like, and he's like, well, we can repair it. We'll just have to fish it out. And he's like, but I'll give you an injection in the hand to at least let you get through. The, and I was yeah, like, you'll end up spending all your winnings on the yeah. surgery to get your hand fixed. And I was like, you know what? Let's do that. Yeah. And so he's about to inject it underneath my knuckle. And he was like, he goes, he's like, hey, man, just, you know, it's going to hurt a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, thank you, sir. You're like, uh, hey, Jen, turns out I just gave you this engagement ring, but I got to have Also, I'm going to need it back. Yeah. I'm going to pawn it. I need to pawn that thing. No, but I actually never, I never tore. I never had to have surgery. So, Good. and I did fight the guys <laughs> and one got her engaged. So there, there you, you go. go. Moral story is don't, don't ever, listen to doctors. Don't ever listen to your <laughs> orthopedic specialist. <laughs> 
But uh, yes, so make sure you guys go to freece.com, uh, sign in, and uh, go to the learn platform or the learn uh, tab, and then you'll see all the different opportunities for learning. And podcast is the one you're looking for. Find this today's episode, and you can get your credit. Um, thanks to them for continuing to work with us. Also, too, I want to let you guys know about uh, a partnership we're doing with High Powered Medicine, um, which is a uh, basically a book of landmark clinical trials um, by Dr. Alex Poppin that is um, very, very good, um, just huge list of these summaries and of landmark studies and a very good reference um, to, to get some quick information. He is partnering with us to anyone who um, joins the Patreon, and, and which is our, our more you know, it's traditional lecture style uh, uh, content that has PowerPoint slides and all that good stuff. Um, anybody who joins the the Patreon signs up for the year membership, which I think is like thirty dollars and some change. You'll get a free e e copy or a ebook from a copy of his book. Nice. So yeah, huge thanks to him for partnering with us. And for those of you who are like, I don't, I don't I'm not joining Patreon. That's stupid. Um, that's totally fine too. Make sure I'll put a link in the in the show notes if you want to check out his book. By all means, do that without signing up for Patreon. Um, it's it's probably cheaper just to buy the, the book but then you won't get all my cool powerpoint slides so you know just get it just depends on how uh, dedicated you are to your craft um and also uh thank you know, thanks to pearls um they gave us a couple shout outs again and uh recently and so um always good to to still um be working with them and uh big thanks to uh to to them for always always keeping us in the you know in, in their their news and stuff so um thanks to them and uh make sure you check out pearls.com slash core consult rx and uh you'll get some free um you get free access to the to some of the app that they have and then some pdf you know study or um algorithms and things like that that you can download and keep and uh yeah check them out as well thank you guys so much and we will see you all on the next episode have a good night